Oh, there he is. Here we go. I uh, we have a a, a very tried and true old main home where uh, if you run the washer, the dryer, and the uh, dishwasher at the same time, it just uh, throws the breaker every time. Yeah, been down. So your internet is is not what's not working because you're living in the 1940s. Well, that's what it, it like. It, it flipped all the breakers at like five twenty-five, and then I had to like go down in the basement, like reset the all the breakers, turn all the shit off, and then I needed like my uh, my modem to cycle again. So let's go. Yeah, we're 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 here. We're here. We're here. Yeah, this, we're, we're here, I've, and I've, we are crushing. Yeah, I say like, I've I've been captured by the Joker, which is why the the video quality is like this way. So. Yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense, honestly, if you think about the history of this podcast. So let's just get right into it because we have a lot to talk about today. I threw out a concept in the Discord and got a lot of really good feedback for this episode. So I'm really excited to talk today. Uh, if you are possible girlfriends in- for me. Oh, that is that not what you put in the Discord? But we talked about that. You're embarrassing yourself. Please stop. I don't, uh, well, again, I just, not again. I, you said you were going to do it, and you didn't. So just a little bit. That would be that would be the worst James place Harden. to ask. In <laughs> yeah. The Discord, the ninety nine point nine percentile. Yeah, yeah. It's the the YKB mail. Yeah. Hey, it, it, the only place is mail is the uh, board ape yacht club meetup. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Daryl Morey's in both, so. <laughs> so if you want to join the uh, Unoball Discord, great advertisement for our Patreon. Sign up for our Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You can get access to an extra episode every week on Unoball. We did a whole thing about Zach Levine last week, so we're going to start with some Zach Levine's talk up top. But if you want to hear our full thoughts, we did over an hour on Zach Levine last week, we talked about the Rudy Gobert, Draymond stuff. We talked about a lot of crazy shit on the last Patreon episode that has not aged poorly yet. In time, I'm sure it will, but yet it's still good. So go check that out on the Unoball Patreon. Sign up today. You can also watch streams with us on the Unoball Playback. We just hit over, we're recording live here, we just hit over 1,500 members on here. So that's it for the plugs. Let's get right into the slot. We're diving head first in. And we're going to talk about Zach Levine and where he could possibly end up. Now, this isn't going to be as long as we talked about the fake trades that we did on the Patreon episode. But we do have some new news from Jake Fisher, who who reported over the weekend that the few teams that are interested, and there are some mutual interests between Zach Levine's camp and those teams are... The Lakers, the Heat, the Sixers, the thing, the 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 teams that the that uh, Shams reported on last week. There appears to be some mutual interest between Levine and those teams. And then the other two teams that were surprised to me were the San Antonio Spurs. Levine is apparently interested in playing for them, and the Sacramento Kings. Shams expanded on that today, and he basically talked about how the Kings are probably going to be one of the more active teams at this deadline. They view their team as really good and they want to make some upgrades. The t- The top targets for them are the Raptors guys, Pascal Siakam and OG and Anobi. But as you know, on the Uniball podcast, we don't talk Raptor slop. No. We don't, we're not getting fooled again. We're not going to go into that. And until 
Masai Ujiri comes out himself and says anything. I am not fucking doing anything related to Raptor Slop until we get there. But the Kings are interested in Zach Levine, appears to have at least some mutual interest. I think the majority of teams are kind of just, it's basically exactly what we talked about on the last podcast. The majority of teams are like, okay, it's November. We're not going to we're not going to jump all over a Zach Levine trade and pay top dollar for a guy who a lot of teams around the league don't value because of his contract, a guy who's in an unhappy situation. And over the course of the next month or two, we'll probably the price will come down for him in trade. And then when we get to January and February, we could talk about some different kind of packages for him is, is kind of what I've gathered so far. Yeah, yeah, it seems like that's how this is kind of due to go down. I'm really surprised by the Spurs, to be honest, like, and I'm trying to think, I mean, I guess they have like plenty of assets, but like, did, did they say if the kit, if the Spurs were interested in that, or if that was a one-way street, like it, it sounded like Levine was interested in joining the Spurs, but the Spurs didn't really put any, like I'm interested in, or we're interested in acquiring Zach Levine from the bulls. I think it probably was, what Levine and his camp probably sat down and said, okay, which teams have assets? The mm-hmm. Sixers just got a bunch of assets from the James Harden trade with contracts and picks. Yeah. The Heat already have them. We know the Kings are kind of, uh, they, they, they own most of their draft capital beyond this year. And the Spurs are pick positive and they have Victor Wyman Yaba now. So like they're mm-hmm. a interesting, maybe they listened to the Bill Simmons podcast and Bill Simmons was like, I wouldn't wait. I would just build a contender around him right now. And then they put <laughs> the Spurs on their list because of that is my guess. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not as high on uh, Devin Vassell as a uh, championship third man. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if necessarily it's time to go out and, and get someone, get someone else like that. I'm also thinking about like what the Kings package would even be. What is it? Is it like, Malik Monk and like Kevin Herter, or is it like Harrison so you could Hard? get their you could get their close in terms of contracts? It's I, I think it would be Herter and Barnes is mm-hmm. to make the money work. So it's Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter. Mm-hmm. My thought is that that would be the uh we, we see Kevin's uh trade here in, in the comments. Davion Mitchell is a hundred percent expandable uh, expendable, I would say, in any sort of trade. Star. Yeah, he barely ever plays. They're very guard heavy. If they get Levine, that's another guard. Uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, he's just not. Despite Sam's delusions, he's not a, a future star by any means. But the uh, the 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 trade package would have to look something like Barnes, Herder, and whatever else to make the money work. Davion Mitchell, Chris Duarte, yeah. whatever, and then. Kev wants them to throw in a first round pick. I think that they would just present them with those contracts and say, here, here are players. We are looking to, you know, maybe they're, they're looking to expand uh, Keegan Murray's role a little bit. And they find that Harrison Barnes is a bit redundant, although that doesn't really make any sense to me. You can never have enough playable wings. Um, and maybe they're saying we're, we're just, we, 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 we see Levina such a big upgrade over Kevin Herter that we're willing to give up X amount of the of either picks or of just contracts to make the deal work and i just kind of think that they would say here's herder barnes davion mitchell and either take it or leave it kind of thing or maybe they could go the other direction and say we'll throw in picks if you include alex caruso because we want defensive guys too yeah 
Yeah. I think, well, and, you know, I, I also just wonder, like, you know, because I could see pretty quickly, because the problem I'm running into with, like, looking for a King's trade here is that, like, they have all of their guys who play are kind of fucking important. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they can't really survive sending out, like, three rotation guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they, they get, it gets pretty thin pretty fast there. So, um, you know, the, the money actually just works with just Herder and um, Barnes. But I wonder if you could get, like, one of the other Bulls guys back with, like, Davion Mitchell or something like that. Like, Troy Craig or someone. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like or, you know, maybe even Andre Drummond or just someone, you know, another rotation guy to kind of put in there. Cause I think that that is like kind of the thing I would worry about if I were the Kings and I were giving up like probably a pick or at least two to get Zach Levine in that situation. I think Kevin Herter's got pretty good value or I would value. I know, I know he had like yeah. a rough year last year, but like, I, no, he was good I, last year. He just yeah. struggled in the playoffs. He just shot poorly yeah. in the playoffs. And I like, think, I don't worry yeah. about Ke Kevin Herter's a good shooter. Like, like that's right. the thing is like, if, if I'm the Kings, that trade makes no sense to me because mm -hmm. we talked about it in the discord earlier and I'm like, okay, so you're taking the Kevin uh, Herter spot and you're upgrading it to Zach Levine. What does Zach Levine bring you that Kevin Herter doesn't rim pressure? Okay. Who's the best rim pressure guard in the NBA right now? De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> like, like you already have that guy on your team and like, it can't hurt to have uh, multiple guys who could score at the rim and score on the outside. But this once again comes back to what does Zach Levine view himself as? We talked about this a little bit on the Patreon episode. And I am open to the idea of the Sixers, for example, exploring a Zach Levine trade. If Zach Levine calls Joel Embiid and says, hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it work there. I'm extremely skeptical that Zach would be willing to do that. I think Zach's an incredibly talented scorer. I think he's a, a good NBA player. But I also think because he's made all-star teams and because he got this massive contract that he probably views himself as one of the two best teams on a two best players on an offense in terms of a contending team. And any team that he goes to, my whole pitch for him this whole time has been, can he be Clay Thompson plus? Can he be guy who's willing to come off pin downs, play off the ball, shoot off movement, because he is one of the best catch and shoot guys in the NBA. He is a very good dynamic movement shooter. And he's also, when he is uh, willing to kind of play more off the ball, he could be a downhill threat off the ball. You could get really creative with what you could do with him. He's a vertical athlete. He can cut to the basket. He, I think in the ideal scenario, like I said, he is a Clay Thompson plus but the the thing is, is that most of these players that are would fit that mold are too good to want to ever be that. Which is yes. why you, which is why you always end up with a diet Clay Thompson instead, like Kevin Herter. <laughs> like right. you always end up with like the lesser version of that player because the majority of players that are good enough to be Clay Thompson want to have the ball more and they want to be more dynamic in terms of an, uh, being an offensive creator. Whereas I think the maximized version of Zach Levine in a Sixers style, Heat style, Lakers style, King style would be that player. And that's I, I mean, like look, like. He say what you will about Zach, but like he is, he's had some issues with that in Chicago. But like that's deferring to Demar Derozan and Zach Le or, and Vucevic. Would he have the same problems if it were LeBron James or Joel Embiid or 
in, in you know the yeah. heat situation Jimmy Butler like he might be willing to take a, a back seat to someone who is a much much better player than the players that he's playing with because at the end of the day he's just as good if not better than those guys in Chicago yeah we call that the Kristaps Porzingis effect the uh like you know like a guy is a guy good as a number two in like he might be bad as a number two in one context, but in like a totally different context, he's suddenly buying in and it looks a lot better. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think I, I get why a lot of teams are in on him. I still don't, I still doubt, like, especially if all the interest that's rumored is real, I don't think the bulls have any reason to want to make this trade quickly. I think they're mm-hmm. going to want a bidding war and I think they're going to want to wait until January 15th when everybody's available, you know, to, to, to like be put in trades and everybody can put, you know, you can get everyone on record with like, okay, what's your best offer? And then they can kind of pick from those ones. I still don't see a Zach Levine trade as like eminent in like the next, like, you know, two months. I, yeah. I think it's probably, I think it's probably going to be like, well, it's December 15th for some guys. It's January 15th for other guys. And also keep in mind, yeah. everyone, we say this every year and it gets, yeah. it gets to be kind of cliche, but everyone loves their team in November, except for like three teams. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. Like, the majority of teams are fine seeing how things play out over the course of 30 or 40 games. When it gets to the point where you're undeniably bad or undeniably mid and yeah. the, the market changes over time, if Donovan Mitchell asks for a trade in a month, a lot of teams that have interest in, in Zach Levine aren't going to have interest in Zach Levine anymore. That's just the reality. Like, we know yeah. that teams are willing to potentially take a flyer on Levine as it is right now if they are able to accept his contract for what they view as just giving up contracts that they don't necessarily want. In time, I think the market could get better for Levine from the Bulls' perspective. And I think that it all it takes, really, to me is one team getting desperate as we've seen time and time again over the years and the team that I brought up on the on the Patreon podcast that we just did that I view as the most likely to be in that scenario is the Detroit Pistons and the reason why is because Troy Weaver's going to need to want to save his job here and Monty Williams was the hire that they brought in to try to save this thing it's not going well and ultimately in order to save a, the GM's job that's what he will do the Sixers yeah. don't have to rush. The Sixers are the they're tied for the best record in the NBA right now. They have the second best net rating. Everything looks like it's going swimmingly. Even the Lakers and the Heat have performed above their net rating in terms of like wins. They don't have to make a, a rush move by any means. I think it takes one desperate team to up the market and change the perspective, whether they're putting picks on the table or they're putting a prospect like Jaden Ivey on the table, which is what I pitched on the last episode. I think that they should be willing to go further in in order to I I don't think the Pistons should do this to be clear but I think that that is what will happen over the course of this next month or two and then okay we could revisit what other teams would be willing to give up for Levine a player that we have said since last trade deadline really there's not a lot of interest in Zach Levine around the league that's all we've ever heard is that teams yeah are willing to take on the contract for free and they're not willing to give up a lot until they have to even like compete with another team. It's it's the same thing that we saw for the James Harden thing where the Clippers were like, why are we giving up Terrence Mann again? Don't, don't we, don't we like 
not have to compete against anyone else until that team exists. I don't see any of these teams, but in terms of like, in terms of just like, what would be the best spot for if I had to rank them for mm -hmm. Zach Levine to me, the best spots would be if Zach were willing to buy into this idea, like ideal role that I think he should fall into number one for me would be the Miami heat. Just like objectively yeah. speaking. Yeah. Here. Like yeah. I, I would hate it, but right. Objectively speaking, the Miami Heat, he could boost their offense. He could provide some rim pressure. He could he could he could uh run their offense occasionally, uh, provide spacing. I like the fit better than the Damian Lillard one, especially if you're giving up less. You know, yeah. if you're only giving up like Tyler Hero and you know Jovic or Hawkes or whoever and like picks. I, I think that would hurt them a lot more than like the Dame package would have had to have been like Caleb Martin and like all these other guys like picks involved. Picks and swaps too. and yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can just and you, you would have had to throw everything. Yeah, or, like, you could also if they don't want Tyler Hero's money, you can also just keep Tyler Hero and you have the Kyle Lowry like yeah. option too. Like, and you can just yeah. do that. If you also, if, if you ask Tyler Hero, he's playing at an All NBA level according to a clip that was posted. It's so true, Bestie. I totally agree with that. Like, you're <laughs> you're so good. Do you, do you know what the uh, Miami Heat's point differential is right now? They're uh, by the way, they're eight and five. They're eight and five, and I believe they have a. I'm going to guess negative two is their point differential. That they're, they're, it's it's completely neutral right now. They're one of <laughs> four, they're one of three teams with a completely neutral um, net rating. It's the Raptors, Warriors, and Heat all have a completely neutral net rating, and the Raptors and Warriors are uh, below both a game and or two games under five hundred respectively. So. Miami Heat, once again, um, not a good team, but once again, uh, just doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter if they're not a good team. They, they they will they will have a not good point differential. They were a terrible offense, and with Tyler Hero, they're actually worse this year net rating wise. With, with, Did you see they they started like twenty two and one against the Bulls? They were up like twenty one. Yeah, one, and then they lost the game. Yeah, yeah, then they lost the game, and. Yeah, and then after this, Zach Levine stormed off the court, and they asked him to do a post game interview, and he stormed off the court. Now this is this is the scenario where the Bulls could end up getting fucked in this trade. Is Zach Levine storms off the court? He asked for a trade already, mm -hmm. and the only players that I could think of in recent history that have been traded before the new year rolled around after a trade request were Jimmy Butler, who famously staged a coup in Minnesota yeah. so that he in practice so that he could get traded. And then the second one was James Harden, who also has a history of these things. Like the Sixers knew what they were getting themselves into. They traded him a few weeks ago. If Levine can get to the point where he can cause that much of a ruckus, he might be able to get himself onto another team faster. They win the game. He only scored like 13 points or something in that game. I think I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he didn't score a lot of points. They yeah. win the game and he angrily storms off the court and doesn't want to do the post-game interview. So like, and like apparently the GM and the coach were not happy about that. So that's the scenario that gets Levine to another team. The heater number one on my list to me, I would go, I would probably go. I'm thinking about teams that really need offensive boosts. The Heat are one of them. The Lakers yeah. are one of them. I yeah, think I would say the Lakers are probably I would say Lakers yeah. too, because I think both those teams have the defensive infrastructure to make up for some of Levine's shortcomings on the other yeah. end. Agreed, I think yeah. that 
I think that his shortcomings are incredibly overrated by the media and everyone who follows the NBA. When he's locked in and he cares, he's a totally passable on-ball, good-to-good on-ball defender. And I think in the right situation, he can be a Jalen Brown level of defender where, yes, yeah. of course, certain things bother you about Jalen Brown, but at the end of the day, he's totally fine And if you have the, the right infrastructure around him like he does in Boston. Yeah. So. There's I that. think Jalen Brown's a good comp for him, by yeah. the way. Like, yeah. just in terms of the level of player you're getting back. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, a guy who could really pop as, like, a second or third man mm -hmm. um, who's got very clear things he's bad at and very clear things he's good at. And you yeah. need to kind of take the good with the bad. And, like, it's up to the coach to, like, minimize the, you know, the this the the smallest parts so yeah okay so i do see uh someone in the comments saying jalen brown is the fourth or fifth best player for the celtics now it's okay if zach levine gets traded to the lakers one lebron two ad three yeah. the goaded white boy with the sauce austin mm -hmm. reeves four zach levine yeah exactly exactly uh, you forgot Gabe Vincent in there too. Oh fuck! Gabe, yeah, yeah, playoff riser. Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent, yeah, yeah Gabe yeah, Vincent yeah. in the playoffs. <laughs> he's he's like the 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 muscle Doge versus the crying Doge. Like Gabe Gabe Vincent in the regular season. Oh, I hate I hate playing in games. But uh, Gabe Vincent in the playoffs. I will shoot seventy percent from three for some reason. Yeah, if you yeah. can somehow acquire Zach Levine and he can bring yeah. Pat Riley's stash with him. Mm -hmm. We we all know we've already said he's going to go to the Miami Heat and end up having like all NBA buzz by the end of the year. We know that that's probably what's going to yeah. happen. But the 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 reality of the situation is that the I think it's probably going to end up being the Lakers or Heat. And then I think that the the wrinkle that gets thrown in is, is one of these teams gets desperate. But of the teams that are included, you put I would probably put the Sixers third, just because. I, if I were the Kings, I would be trying to acquire defensive talent because I just think that their offense is going to be... If you have Sabonis, Fox, and it, it just an inch of shooting around them, which they have a bunch of, and you can get a... I don't really see the fit with Pascal Siakam there, but you could get an OG Ananobi or a, a versatile defensive player who can space uh, the floor on offense. I think that's the kind of guy that I would be looking for if I were Sacramento instead of a Zach Levine type, because I just don't think he's that much better than Herder that you're going to pay him three times as much on his contract. And the, the, the reason why I, the Sixers have the number one offense in the NBA right now, which we're going to talk about, but there still is a level of when they face really good teams with really good defenses that I am a little bit concerned. Like you saw at times in that Boston game, now, they didn't have Batum and Oubre, but Boston was also missing Porzingis and Jalen Brown for that game. So, like, kind of, let's just say it's even. There are times where the offense can get a little bit bogged down. There are times where the offense is not quite as creative as you would like it to be. And there are times when the offense is going up against a really good defense that I think it could get slowed down. And adding an offensive talent like Zach Levine to the conversation could be incredible. Um Cleaning the glass has the Sixers as the number one offense in the NBA. So that eliminates garbage time. Pacers are not first. So the uh, so while the Sixers have the best offense, it's the playoffs that I really am concerned about. And I know that Maxi might end up being a better option than playoff James Harden in certain circumstances and playoff Ben Simmons, obviously. But 
at the end of the day, the offense is still going to be set it around Joel Embiid. And I think that as this formula has shown so far throughout the regular season, the Sixers offense with Joel, Maxi, and ball handlers slash shooters around it is virtually unstoppable when things are all clicking. So that is the reason why you would trade for a Levine. The reason why you wouldn't is all the things we've laid out. There is at least a little bit of defensive concern with him. He might not want to buy into the role. And there are guys that you know would be willing to buy into the role. So that's that's kind of how I feel about the Levine thing. You could talk me into it either way. I The feeling I get is that the Sixers aren't very interested in Zach Levine anymore. They were interested in him two years ago when they had Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But now that Maxie's the second guy, they're going to look for more defensively versatile players that can survive on offense to kind of fix the issues that they feel like they might have at the higher levels. And... The other teams, like, I would probably go Kings 4, Spurs 5. I don't get the move for the Spurs at all. The Spurs have the worst defense in the NBA. Like, they, they, yeah. they've they been bottom three in defense, I think. I don't see how Zach Levine helps that situation at all. I think that they're just going to be in for a bad year, and I think that they can reassess everything after the offseason, or in the offseason. I don't see why a situation why you would rush that timeline, unless Victor is, by the All-Star break, playing at, like, an all NBA level and looks like one of the 10 best players in the NBA, which he hasn't so far, then why would you really rush that whole timeline if you're the Spurs? Yeah. And I just think, you know, like I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I just think the Lakers and the heat have more need for Zach Levine. And um, and particularly with the heat, they've got more to give. Like, I don't, I don't see Daryl Morey, like putting it all on the table for Zach Levine, you know, especially no. when he's his cap space plan is like, perfectly like lined up right now like destroying it looks, that it looks pretty yeah. good honestly the the one thing i will say about the cap space plan is that there are guys on the sixers that are free agents like batum if he decides to keep playing and tobias and melton that have played so well that you're like would you prefer to get those guys in season and have them traded into your cap space and then use bird rights to sign the other guys back next offseason on like value deals you know what i mean mm -hmm. Right. But then again, Zach Levine wouldn't fit that mold, really. It would probably be more like a Laurie Markkinen who's on a discount contract. Right. Or if you're looking for offensive talent, there are other guys out there that might fit the mold a little bit better. If you could get OG Ananobi early in a trade, which I, once again, I don't think that's realistic, but I'm just yeah. saying. So uh, why are people sending George R.R. Martin tweets into the chat? This is my influence. Oh, it said Bulls working on their post-Thibs okay. rebuild, and it's it's. It's George, George R. R. Market writing his uh writing the uh, the new book that uh he said has well been working I, on for new a decade. Book, I was gonna say I was in college when that came out. And yeah. that was, uh, I'm I'm 34 now. I was gonna say it almost yeah. it almost aligns with the uh with the uh post Thibs timeline. Right? When did they hire fire Thibs in 2015? It's it's older than that. It was yeah. 2012 was when. That was when that was when the uh, Dance of Dragons came out. It was 2012. So, Jesus, unbelievable. But the, yeah, the Virgin George R. R. Martin versus the Chad uh, Stephen Erickson. <laughs> well, going. well, we are going to have a lot of uh, let's just say rebuilds that are not going very well that we will be talking about during the stat portion of this episode. Uh, but so far to start the year, the, the we're, we're going to talk a little bit about some some stat stuff. Uh, just to kind of transition off the Levine talk, um, we'll, we'll definitely talk a lot more about Levine as we get uh, further into 
the season, uh, sign up for the Patreon where we'll probably talk about this every fucking episode because it's going to be the main slop thing if you have not already. Let's talk a little bit about stats. And since this is a Sixers podcast, I'm going to lead off with some stats about the Sixers and their insane offense so far. And now keep in mind, what did you what what did you want to call this section? Is this the, is this the calculator rat Mendoza line? Thing? This is the calculator rat Mendoza line. But yes. I have a theory, I have a theory that ten games is when um, stuff starts being normal. So like I, I hate talking about season stats or like where someone is in the NBA before ten games have been played. Now that ten games have been played, we have a big enough sample size that it's at least worth discussing. So. Like, uh, this is the idea behind the calculator at Mendoza line. Like, this is finally when you can let loose your nasty little beasts and they come crawling out of the sewers with their their little, their grubby little mitts covered in EPM and, <laughs> and all the other, like, nasty bullshit they want to talk about. So now is the first time I'll, I'll hear what the rats have to say. Yeah, exactly. Did you, did no. you leave out cookies for the first, for, for calculator rat Santa? If you give it. If On you EPM a, day, if you give a calculator rat uh, a LeBron, he's gonna want a Raptor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, this is so EPM was released recently, so everyone's been up on their calculator rat bullshit. If you don't know what EPM is, it's on dunksandthrees.com, which is essentially the advanced version of BPM, uh, which is on basketball reference from the jump and we could overreact to players having really good first weeks of the season as we have throughout the course of this season so far. But to start off, we're still in small sample size territory with some of the stuff that we're talking about because like, for example, Nicholas Patum has only played five or six games for the Sixers so far. He's missed some time, but in the games that he has played, he looks incredible. <laughs> he basically hasn't missed the shot and he's making all the right decisions for the Sixers. So these Sixers net rating with Nicholas Batum in 127 minutes to start this season is a plus 30 with a 143 offensive rating, which is 20 points per 100 possessions better than the Sixers number one offensive rating according to cleaning the class that means they have the the most points per 100 possessions of any team in the nba so far to start this year if you eliminate garbage time and if you add in nicholas batum that balloons to plus 143 so almost 20 over 20 points per 100 possessions better with nicholas batum on the court to start this year if you watch the games you can understand why he is an incredible uh connective piece for this offense he is someone who is still a very good, savvy defender. He's like such a ball mover. He's really something that they have missed for a while on this team. He works well with Maxi and Embiid, in, in, whether one of them is sitting or one of them is playing. The offense just keeps humming. And this, that blew my mind. This is from Cleaning the Glass that Bobcat Boris submitted in the, uh, submitted in the Discord. To start the season, Nicholas Batum is is adding 27.4 points per 100 possessions in the half court to the Sixers' offense, just ahead of Nikola Jokic's 22.3 points per 100 added in the half court. Uh, so, we, you know, look, we, we argued in Bede versus Jokic all last year. 
should we really be arguing Jokic versus Batum? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'd just like to say uh, this is uh, this is something we all saw coming. Um, yeah. We all knew when he Daryl Morey said that he wouldn't trade James Harden for a star. <laughs> and he made sure that he got the better player back in Nick Batum. So, yes. Yeah. Arguably the Sixers most important player, more so than Tyrese Maxey, more so than Joel Embiid. Yeah. Uh, he got he found the third star, folks, and everything yeah. is clicking when Nicholas Batum is on the court. So just another quick thing before we get into one of Sam's stats here. A crazy thing about the Sixers so far to start this year. Like I said, number one offense in the NBA, according to Cleaning the Glass. And they are third last in the NBA in attempted three-pointers to start the year. They are basically crushing in every other department of offense. They are 10th in offensive rebounding. They get to the line more than any team in the NBA. Um, they are also uh, getting out in transition way more often than they have in the past. And that has led to the team being uh, one of the best. So I actually have uh, uh, from Avi uh, Wolfman Arant tweeted earlier today. Um, they are first in free throw rate, third in sh percentage of shots attempted at the rim, third in turnover percentage, as in they don't turn the ball over. And they are allowing, uh, they have the second fewest possessions in the half court to start the year. So they're out running. They are incredibly efficient in whatever shot they get. They get to the line a ton. They get to the rim a ton. And that has led to uh, them having the best offense in the NBA so far. Now, some of these things will kind of break even throughout the season, but this is not a, the Sixers are shooting the cover off the ball. The Sixers are putting up a ton of threes like a year ago we saw with the Boston Celtics. Not that the Celtics really had any offensive problems throughout the course of a regular season, but it wasn't, it's not things that are completely unsustainable. It will regress a little bit, but I don't think this is going to come down to the Sixers having, not having a top five offense by the end of the year. I think they're clearly a top five offense in the NBA, and I think over the course of this season, it will prove to kind of sustain itself as long as they have Embiid, Maxi, and the most important Sixer, Nicholas Batum. So, yeah, it's been incredible uh, start start to the year for the uh, Sixers, and uh, I can't believe Ben Taylor. If you haven't seen it, Ben Taylor did a whole video on this on his Thinking Basketball page where he did uh, how Nurse has kind of revolutionized the offense for the Sixers, using Embiid more like Jokic outside of the paint and using uh, Maxi and uh, Tobias as downhill threats in the offense. If you haven't checked that out, go to his Thinking Basketball page and watch that video because it really shows just how much more advanced the Sixers have been with a, a real head coach and not Doc Rivers at the helm. So... Um, so do you have any stats that you would like to list or I have like a hundred. So if you, if you I've have, got, if you have one, a, you want to throw out pretty, there. Yeah. I would say I've got, I've got a pretty, uh, I've got a pretty sizable chunk. Um, you know, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave out some of this. So I, what I did was I, I looked at, um, guys with a negative VORP. Um, and I looked at guys who have, uh, 25% usage or higher. And, can um, I guess that, can I guess how many players it is? Yes, guess how many players it is that are Two. have 25%. There's actually three. There's a third one. All right, I'll get the first two easily. Not even a question. Caden okay. Caden Caden Poole. Yes. Yes. Caden Poole are the obvious ones. Yes. Is the third one Andrew Wiggins? The third one is Andrew Wiggins. Um no, wait, sorry, no, not Andrew Wiggins. He is 
the other one who is at negative almost half a game, the, mm-hmm. the top three worst in VORP are Wiggins, Poole, and Cunningham in that order. But the third one is Jordan Clarkson, who is only at like negative two, but he has a 27% usage. The other one that I forgot, but he's played less minutes, is Kaminga, has 26.9. Um, and a negative uh, point differential. So I'm just saying, if a guy's usage is that high and he's... The returns have been this bad. Mm-hmm. Like, where where are people arguing that Jordan Poole just needs like to be in the right system to kind of put it all together? <laughs> I'm just like, what, what, what are, what are we missing? Because Jordan Poole has more of a history of being a positive NBA player than Kate Cunningham does. Like, so, so first off, yeah, first off, Poole is definitely swaggier. He's definitely (laughs) got more of. Pool has been terrible for sure this year. Um, Okay, but here's the other thing: is Poole? I'm watching Poole is like just yelling at his teammates, not looking at plays. So that makes sense. Cade is ostensibly trying his best and yeah. is still doing this bad. So so the is that good or bad? Because it seems worse to me, to be honest. Zach, Zach Cram from The Ringer wrote a whole article on this today, and it's something that yeah. we've talked a lot about with Cade over the course of why we're not as high on, on him as mm-hmm. a lot of the draft Twitter people, a lot of the nerds around the NBA are because our whole thing from the jump with this is if you have a, a primary creator who does not get to the rim often. And when he does get to the rim, he gets rejected more than any player in the NBA. 25% of his layups have been swatted at the rim this year. According to Zach Graham's article, when you get a player who cannot finish around the rim because he lacks explosion, when you get a player who doesn't get to the line often because of the inability to draw fouls due to the lack of explosion we've talked about, his inability to create separation. When you have a player who is shooting below 30% from three again in his career, when you have a player who is only focused on a mid-range diet of shots, turns the ball over way too much, your offense is just going to be bad no matter who you put that player around. Like, that is, you know... Some of this is context. Some of this is he has shit shooting around him. He has all this. But if you remove Cade from the floor, the Pistons have a better offense than when he is on the floor. You can try any matchup that you wanted in terms of on-offs. You can add Killian Hayes in there. You could remove Killian Hayes. You can add Jaden Ivey. You can remove Jaden Ivey. The Pistons never have a good offense when Cade is on the floor. The Pistons' offense is 10 points per 100 possessions better when Cade sits. Now, maybe part of that is, well, maybe they're getting out and running more. Okay, well, that's that's not great. If, if you have the way to change something to make your offense better, like the Toronto Raptors have proven with Nick Nurse, they always did all those years, you should probably do it. That's low-hanging fruit stuff that you should be able to do. When you remove him from the floor, they get to the line more. They shoot about the same from two-point percentage and three-point percentage. There is no way to get it so that the numbers agree with you that the Pistons are better. Now, if you want to say, look at the tape and say, okay, everyone's just clogging the paint. There's no way he can get to the rim. There's no way he can, he can draw fouls. He's going to turn the ball over more. Okay, fine. That's totally fair. 
it still doesn't have me buying in on the idea that Cade can one day be a primary creator when all of these flaws in his game continue to pop up. And this is just not a small sample. Now we're in year three. He didn't play much last year. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but now we're how many games in 13 games in for the Pistons. And I see people talking about trading Jaden Ivy and I'm like, what are we not getting here? Yeah. What are we not understanding? Because to me, it's like what Zach wrote in his article is basically what we've been saying this whole time, which is that if Cade's three point percentage, which by the way, he shoots 32% on wide open threes in his career. That is not good. Yeah, if he, no. if he, if, if his three point percentage can get better, he basically explained in this article, maybe he could be, he could have the Lonzo archetype in his career where he yeah. is a secondary creator who is a passing savant and can be a spot up three point shooter and could be a connective piece. And that's the path that he needs to kind of go down now. And the reality is that every few months we, we lower the bar a little bit lower, a little bit lower. And like, there's no context in which a guy at 22 years old hasn't shown that he could be a primary creator at all, at all. Yeah. Like th th there's no primary creation equity with this dude. It's, it's, it's really bad. Like we all, we all giggled and teed about like how bad Jordan Poole was going to be. And he is bad. Jordan Poole also has ostensibly less talent on his wizard squad than, um, Cade has with the Pistons. Like, Durant, well, I think they have the two worst rosters in the NBA. But they've got a Sar Thompson and Jalen Duran who he like plays with. There's nobody on the Wizards even close to either of those other two guys. Like who who would you even say? Like Corey Kispert, maybe. I guess yeah. I, he's like I, I think Duran's better, and I think Thompson's better. But yeah, I, I think they're. I I just think I, I don't know. I I think that. They're like the Wizards were like trying to be bad. The, the Pistons are ostensibly trying to be good and have like young players they can try out and do some of this stuff. I don't know. I, I think it's it's bad. I'm I'm willing to I I've not seen the Cade thing. I was very polite for a long time, but we're quickly approaching the amount of I think they've got to rip the band-aid off. Um and I think by the way, I think that would be better for Cade's career for him to go somewhere else. Um I, I think we've hit that point already. Like well, they're not going to trade him. Like, let's like, that's just the reality. It's like, but they won't. So we're in year three. Yeah, we have a situation where he's overextended as a primary creator. They kind of need one of these dudes to really pop in order to, which is why, even like they keep everyone keeps saying, well, he doesn't fit with Jaden Ivy, and it's like, well, the Pistons are better with Jaden Ivy on the court than they are with Cade Cunningham. Like, like that's the problem. Is that like everyone keeps saying he doesn't fit and it's like, well, if he doesn't fit with this other player you drafted who hasn't by any means been like amazing. But by the way, if you compare his stats to a 21 year old De'Aaron Fox to this point in his career, they're almost identical. And De'Aaron Fox has made himself into one of the 15, 20 best players in the NBA. How about this? How about Kate outplays Marcus Sasser first? I'm like serious. Marcus Sasser is better than either of those guys right now. Like, so maybe Jaden Ivey gets better. I don't think Cade's ever going to be better than Marcus Sasser is right now. I'm serious. I'm, yeah. I'm willing to, I'm willing to go there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. It's, it's the same thing that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. The overextension, the crowning too early, all that shit. Like mm -hmm. I'm willing to give a young player time, but we need to readjust our expectations. Like we did the 25 best players under 25, not too long ago. 
and he was six on the list. Like it's just setting him up for failure at this point because he's he he is not a primary engine. And until they get a guy who is at least the level of, which is why I think they need to keep taking the cracks on this over the course of the next whatever few weeks, months to see if they can make one of these guys stick as the primary creator. And we talked about the Pistons trading potentially for a Zach Levine. I think trading Jaden Ivey for Zach Levine would be a very stupid move. I think that either in the draft with the Pistons being one of the worst teams in the NBA or somehow via trade or free agency, they need to be swinging for guys that are of a higher echelon of number one. If they were some, now this is never going to happen, but just in theory, if they were able to get in on the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes next summer, that like Mitchell is a primary creator that you could put with a Cade to make that situation passable. Putting Levine with him, another guy who is not, kind of when he runs an offense it doesn't look great when he's a secondary piece it can look really good I think that has potential to be disaster so like if I'm the Pistons and I'm married to Cade I'm looking to get a legit primary creator to try to salvage this situation instead of you know uh instead of trying for a bunch of guys who I view as like other flawed primary creator types so it's hard to find those guys there's a reason why they never become available and I, I think it's going to be a, a long road for the Pistons, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like basically every stat and every number tells you that in terms of high usage guys, it it, it can't get much worse than the situation with Cade and the Pistons right now. And it's not to say that it's a completely unsalvageable situation, but now I think that you, you need to start operating under the fact that Cade isn't a number one and how can we find that number one? That's where I'm at with the Pistons. So, um, Let's see. Uh, let's see who else uh, submitted some stats here for this episode. Okay, um, I'll go. I'll wait for the Sixers propaganda again because we already did a Sixers one. But um, let's. How about this? Signs for concern potentially. Uh, Ransom in the Discord submitted uh, Zion being inefficient this year. Currently is twenty seventh percentile for position for his position at the rim. Seems pretty bad. He ha currently has a career low 54.8 true shooting. I looked this up. 54.8. That is 10% lower than his last two seasons that he has played uh, in terms of true shooting. And his efficiency field goal percentage is at 52.7 to start the year as well. So another shocking stat. He is currently seventh worst for anyone who has who drives at least 10% a game. And he's shooting 40% on those drives, which I actually believe that is worse than Cade Cunningham uh, for Zion so far to start this year. So that's not great. That's not good. Yeah, that is not good. It's not good. Like one of the things with the, with, I will say with the Pistons and the Pelicans is that their whole team is, yeah, the, Nate, Nate submitted this 40 Cade's at 43% on drives in terms of, uh, percentage scoring so that's not good for Zion so far to start this year I'm willing to give Zion a little bit of benefit of the doubt only because we've seen Zion be dominant in the NBA before in a way that we have never seen with Cade but the mm -hmm. Pelicans and the Pistons both have a ton of injury issues to start this year but there are at least some signs in Zion's stats 
And honestly, when you watch him a little bit, that he might have lost half a step and that he might not be operating at the level that he was at athletically a year or two ago. And even before that, he was a crazy athlete. He kept finding himself getting injured. But I think that we might be to the point where those things are kind of catching up with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's certainly not. And the, the Pelicans, by the way, I mean, we, they're always a billion times injured, but they're they're like not good this year. Like it sounds like they, they might be the it's looking like early returns. They might be the casualty of the the West being good, you know, um, so. And also CJ McCollum being out, Trey Murphy being out. They just, I think Matt Ryan got injured. I'm like, everyone in their rotation is dying. Larry Nance is out for six weeks. And I know the Pistons have similar problems, but the Pelicans have like legit talent and depth that I thought that they could have been top five seed in the, in the West. Yeah. Yeah. They just, well, they can't get their guys. They still can't get their guys healthy, but like Zion not looking good is alarming. Like this is quickly entering a, a phase where, you know, are, did you miss your window to trade Zion? You know, like because I don't think packages that would be offered for Zion today would be ones that David Griffin could even like consider. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, I don't think anybody would offer him like real stuff for Zion. Like, and I don't know. They've got a no way out but through for the Pelicans right now. You yep. know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think I don't think they're gonna have a chance to pull the plug. I think what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to, um, they might be a panic trade candidate. You know what I'm saying? They might be a team that's willing to overpay for like a Zach Levine or someone like that, like come the trade deadline, if things aren't looking good. So dude, their, their team is insane because it's been, they Mm -hmm. traded for CJ McCollum two seasons ago, almost two calendar years to this point that it has been a two year anniversary. And they have Zion, Ingram. Someone can look up how many games they played together. Zion, Ingram, and CJ. But I would be willing to bet it's less than 15 games. Mm-hmm. And they have played, I mean, maybe 20, maybe 20 games. I, I can't imagine it's been a lot of games that they have played together. It was less than 12 before the season. And then CJ got hurt. And Ingram was out a little bit earlier in this year, too. They yeah. have barely played any. So the, the thing about the Pelican situation is like, it feels as though they might not be able to have enough of of any availability with these guys to know what they should do. Because, by the way, Brandon Ingram is contract extension eligible right now, and he hasn't signed one because he's been kind of up and down with the injuries and with the availability and all that shit. CJ getting hurt adds another wrinkle on top of that. And Zion not being... This like if 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 he's not the level of player that he was, he was MVP candidate good at 22 years old, and now he's 23, and now he's been injured more, and we've had question marks about like, does he even give a shit? Because maybe he doesn't want to be in New Orleans, or maybe he just doesn't really care about basketball that much. I don't know how much. I don't want to give too much claim like uh validity to that because I just don't really know how much yeah. it is true. I don't really know anything about his personal life, mm-hmm. but. I I kind of think the fact that like you said like now you're getting to the point where like maybe you miss your window to trade Zion if you ever were to able have like really good trade value or maybe this whole thing just isn't going to work because no one's ever fucking healthy. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that, and that's just more what I meant, you know what I'm saying? I think the Pelicans had a real window to kind of they have so many assets just kind of roll their timeline back a little bit, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And like get things more lined up cuz nobody was selling 
there's still not really anyone selling, which is kind of, it's just the bulls basically um, like on the horizon. And I think that until expansion happens, I think that might be a feature in the league. I think the league is too good and teams are going to be looking around like, look at all the fucking NBA players we have. We're, we're definitely, we should be good. But then you get out there and it's like, fuck, we're six and eight. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, warriors are six and eight. Like, and you, you know, like there's, this is just like what happens like when you've got this kind of insane parody. And so like, you know, I, I don't think they're quite as like fucked as like the, the Pistons, you know what I'm saying? Like no. they just need to get everything like together and get like everything squared away, but it's definitely not good. It's definitely not good. So, so yeah. it's not good. And they, they are seemingly cursed. Mm-hmm. Having said that, they have they still have so much, and I know it. People are probably getting fucking sick of hearing this because it's every year with the Pelicans where everyone's like, "But just look sure. at their talent." But it's true. Like, look at the team. Yep. Dyson Daniels has had a really good year, by the way. Dyson Daniels has been has been looking yep. good for them. Herb Jones is like uh, my buddy Andrew, who is a uh, who's a big uh pelicans fan said in the three games since he's returned from injury he has 10 blocks and five steals against the uh timberwolves nuggets and mavericks like herb jones is a hundred percent a guy they've added spacing with jordan hawkins and matt ryan so far they have trey murphy coming back who's one of the better three point three three and d guys in the league like if they can ever get healthy and ever get right it feels like they still have the potential to me and none of it matters if Ingram and Zion aren't the players we thought they were. That's yeah. what it like to me. Like they, th- th- it comes down to they show a lot of kind of potential to be a scrappy playoff team. But if those guys aren't the level that they should be, they're not going to be contenders. Is what I'm getting at here. We always thought that this was going to be a contendership window for the Pelicans, and I just don't really know if that is the case. So. We'll see. We'll see with the Pelicans. I'm still in wait and see mode. I really want to see this team get healthy because I think that this team, when healthy, could help Zion's numbers. It could help. Uh, it could help kind of where their team goes from here. But just from the eye test and the early stats, it's definitely concerning with Zion. Like I, like I said, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, and that I'm in a way that I'm not with other players because I've seen him play at a high level, but it's not for extended periods and with his injury history, like I said it on stream the other night, like he could just be another Larry Johnson who was a hyper athletic player, incredibly good young player that made all-star teams and then just got injured and was never quite the same. Uh, so we'll see with the Pelicans, but uh, early returns, uh, not great so far. So um, do you have any other stats that you wanted to pump out? Yes. So I'm going to run through, I have, um, that I have basketball reference sorted by um, total rebound percentage. Okay, so this is yes. how high um, people rebounding on the floor are. Okay, so everyone, um, I, I like doing this and going down the list, um, filtering out centers and power forwards. And a lot of the power forwards, like 14 is Victor Wembanyama, who's a power forward, he's a center. Uh, Evan Mobley's a power forward, he's a center at 17, you know. So, um, you get down to i'm gonna list um i'm gonna list you the third uh, uh, um third second and fourth uh, i'm gonna go top five okay top five guys that aren't um power forwards or centers in terms of um 
offensive or in, ter- in terms of this rebound percentage going up. Okay. So I'm going to read you the list and I want you to guess the top guy. Okay. So um, at um, 49, we have Josh Hart. This is all the guys top seven, uh, top 50. Josh Hart is uh, 49. Westbrook's 47. Luca is 46. Tory Craig is 42. Then you got to go a ways up to get Scotty Barnes, who they say is a shooting guard, but he's really kind of a small yeah, board power forward. Sure. Uh, he's uh, 37. We've got Jalen Johnson, my guy, at 35. Then he's been good this year. Who's been really good. Then you go up to Michael Porter Jr., who is 32. Everyone above this is a power forward or center, mostly centers, except for the number 10 person who is a small forward. Who is going to number 10? It's a Sar Thompson. It is a Sar Thompson. Yeah. That's pretty fucking impressive. And that's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on. <laughs> like that is a wild. I know the Pistons are weird, but it's not like the Pistons don't have good rebounders. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're yeah. actually like a huge fucking team. And the fact that he's getting rebounds on that team mm-hmm. um, is really impressive. Um, you go over to EPM and you look at his um the the what do you call it the um, defensive uh, like basically they they have all that all his stuff sorted out by percentages right um, yeah. in terms of like what percentage he is um, he's ninety ninety uh, fourth percentile in offensive rebounds as a Crazy. small forward which is insane he's eighty fifth percentile in defensive rebounds which is also pretty fucking um, impressive he's eighty ninth percentile in block percentage where he's four point four yeah like all of this stuff. To say his true shooting, he is seventh percentile, and his effective field goal percentage, he is eighth percentile. Yeah. So he is like a dog shit offensive player, but as a young wing, that doesn't really bother me that much. And I think that he kind of projects as like a, at worst, really, really good, like defensive wing and i think he's got like real upside as kind of a, a, a creator guy like i, I love what in terms of yeah i love what nate commented on there which is that he's josh hart with anthony edwards athleticism <laughs> like he's yeah, exactly yeah essentially a super role player that we we look we talked we've talked a lot about the pistons and kind of what their team makeup can be I do think that it, with with a team that is built as weirdly as they are, and part of the reason why people have been wanting to give Cade kind of benefit of the doubt is because Asar's not a floor spacer. I think a player like Asar could give you the opposite effect where you could build your team in a really unique way where you can have yep. this forward that just creates a ton more possessions for you on the glass. And we saw with what Nick nurse was able to do with the Raptors where if you, and and the Knicks right now, the Knicks are another team that just creates a ton of opportunities with rebounds that even if your offense, isn't the best offense, if you get a ton of cracks at shit, like when you have a special offensive rebounder, like a Sar Thompson or like Josh Hart or someone in that mold, Mitchell Robinson for the Knicks, who we'll talk about in a second, the, the amount of extra possessions you create, the amount of chances that you create for your dog shit offense to get up to league average is so much higher when you have those dudes on the court. And one of the things that I want, I worry with, with the way that the Pistons have been building the roster is like, how do you balance the spacing with that? And then also how do you balance the fact that like Duran 
is a really good vertical spacing big, but he's not like a three-point shooter. And you would hope to fit a SAR with a three-point shooting big so that he could be the most maximized version of what he can be, essentially, is what I'm trying to get down at here. Because mm -hmm. I think that he's going to be, at worst, a super role player. And yes. at best, if he can ever develop any semblance of a shot, someone sent to me that he could be basically Andre Iguodala 2.0. And that would yes. be really awesome kind of outcome for him. And I, I, I just think that... As we move into like teams that really prioritize, and I, I love Duran. This is not Duran slander at all, but mm -hmm. teams that really prioritize bigs who can shoot might be key for unlocking guys that have some shooting problems that are not on ball guys. Is what I'm talking about here. So like teams like OKC have have prioritized this. The Jazz have prioritized this. You might be able to get away with playing guys that have shooting deficiencies that are good at everything else. Mm -hmm if your big can shoot threes and yeah. we'll see if that is what happens. Maybe Duran could develop that at some point. I'm not super optimistic about that, but maybe, mm -hmm. maybe the key to unlocking some stuff for the Pistons is getting a backup spacing big that you can split Thompson's minutes with, and he can be hyper productive yeah. in that role. Yeah. 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 I just, that, that just blew me away when you like just sort the rebound percentage and you've got to scroll and scroll and scroll to get to another non center power forward to get an, another guy who because what i wanted to do was i thought jason tatum's done a good job rebounding this year and i was looking for jason tatum like on there and he's not there but who is uh star thompson so once again uh i knew he was better than amen uh once again uh my my scouting doesn't lie i'm one of the best scouts in the nba let's um, go so once okay again, so so far the, the the worst twin theory has worked for sr it has mm -hmm. worked for Caleb Martin. Mm -hmm. It has not worked for Jalen McDaniels, and it has not worked for Chris Murray, who was just sent down to the G League again. <laughs> at did 23. work. Did work for the Morrises. It did. Mar at one yeah. at one point, yeah. Marcus was seen as the shitty twin, right? Yes, yes. yes. And he yes. had the better career, I would, yes. I would argue. So, yeah. well, certainly he's killing it for the Sixers right now. Yeah. You know how I talked about Batum, the Sixers being 30 points, 33 points better with Batum on there. <laughs> it's the exact opposite for Marcus Morris. It's a 30 point swing in the negative direction for 100 possessions. Let's so, go. uh, and also I do just want to point out my whole thing about Asar being kind of this Jack of all trades, uh, role player, hyper athlete and how getting a spacing big can help guys who have sh shooting limitations. Brian has pointed out in the comments, just like how Porzingis has helped out a bad shooter like Jason Tatum this season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Brian. I, I, yeah. I'm glad you were brave enough to say it. By the way, yeah. speaking of Jason Tatum, this stat has nothing to do with Jason Tatum, but it does have someone something to do with a player who is one spot okay. ahead of Jason Tatum on EPM, and that is Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey, number 10 in the NBA in uh, EPM, ahead of Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Paul George, Kevin Durant. <laughs> so, so far, so good. Devin Booker, I believe, too, or he might be somewhere in that range as well. Um, but so far this year, this fucking blew my mind. We talked about last week how good the Sixers offense has been with Maxi on the court and Joel off the court, which has never been the case. The Sixers are always fall apart whenever Joel goes to the bench. This is the first year where they are cruising in the non-Joel minutes in a way that they never have before. Mm -hmm. 
Maxi is not only shooting, this is from Gabriel in the Discord. By the way, shout out to Gabriel. He's been doing a lot of cool stuff in the UW Discord, creating a bunch of stat bots for us that we have been super useful and it's been awesome. So Gabriel in uh, the Discord posted, this year when Joel Embiid is off the court, Tyrese Maxey is shooting 12% better than league average, and he is scoring at the highest volume of any player in the NBA. Wow. So basically when, when I, I'm not even exaggerating, the numbers that Maxey has put up to start this year, keep in mind, they run a lot more when Joel sits. Not all of this is in the half court, obviously, because... They like to get out and run and, and do the Nick Nurse things that that uh, we've talked about before on the podcast with Maxi. He's one of the best transition players in the NBA. But he's essentially scoring at like a MVP Steph Curry level of efficiency and volume scoring. So when I told you a year and a half ago that Maxi is Steph Curry, I was not lying. And, and as Will pointed out, Expect to hear sometime in the next month on Bill Simmons or or other podcasts. Can Maxi and Embiid fit together? Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> because of this, the Boston Media Mafia is cooking up something special for this one, baby. Yeah, let's go. Let's fucking go. Uh, but yeah, so the Sixers have been insanely good with Joel off the court for the first time ever, and that's largely in part uh, due to the fact that Maxi has been. An, an insane scorer whenever Embiid sits. And in yesterday's game against the Brooklyn Nets, proved to be a pretty good distributor, had another 10 assist game, had eight assists in the first half, made some passes we've never seen him have. So the Maxi leap is real, it's strong, and it's my friend. Tyrese Maxi, better sadly, all NBA votes for him this year, please. Thank you. Thank you if you're listening and you are a voter. So. All right. Do you have any other stats you want me to pop one? Um, I'm 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 looking at I'm trying to find my other one. So you take you do one more, but I do have another one. I'm trying to uh, figure out the wording on it. But you okay. Go ahead. So uh, we talked a little bit about Mitchell Robinson's rebounding. The Knicks are currently first in both offensive and defensive rebounding. Do you know how many offensive rebounds per game Mitchell Robinson is averaging this season? I I know Mitchell Robinson's um number like like his rebounding stats are like fucking insane. So I'm gonna guess is it 14? No, offensive rebounds, not offensive total. rebounds. I'm gonna guess six. Exactly six. Yeah, he's averaging six yeah. offensive rebounds a game, which by the way is more than he is averaging on the defensive end. He's averaging five point six defensive rebounds. He's averaging more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds to start this season, which has created, it's the thing that we always talk about with, um, Jesus Christ. I just looked up uh, Moses, Moses Malone, because I knew Moses Malone was a good offensive rebounder. Yeah. Do you know what, how many he had in one season? Just well, total or average? Total. Um, I'm going to guess he had uh, 300. He had 587 <laughs> rebounds. Oh my God. And by the way, fun fact, if you divide that by 82 games, which I'm assuming he played 82 games in that season. Yes, yeah. he did. Which that breaks down to 7.1 offensive rebounds per game. So Mitchell Robinson is only averaging one less rebound per game than Moses Malone when he won MVP in 1981 and 1982. 
and broke the NBA record for the most offensive rebounds in a season. So Mitchell Robinson, if you look at this list of most offensive rebounds ever in a season, Mitchell Robinson is going to, if he keeps on this pace, he's probably not going to play 82 games. But just if he keeps on this pace, the only players ahead of him are going to be Rodman twice. I'm sorry, Rodman once, and then Moses Malone four times. So Mitchell Robinson is potentially one of the five best offensive rebounders in the history of the NBA. <laughs> he's been really good. He actually really impressed me in the Celtics game, too. Yeah, he's owned I, you. I told you he yeah, was good. Yeah, he's owned me. He's owned me pretty good. I, I, I've watched, they've played the Knicks twice, and he's been really good at, like, getting out on Kristaps Porzingis. Like, that did not bother him at all. So, yeah. um, really, really impressive stuff for Mitchell Robinson, um, who has, and he has indeed owned me. So, uh, yeah. I have to, I, it's it's not, the NBA season hasn't started unless I'm wrong about something to do with the Knicks. So, we got to get Yeah, started. exactly. Well, yeah. speaking of, the complete opposite end of the spectrum, we talked about drives earlier. The player mm-hmm. who is scoring the least amount of times, or, or I'm sorry, has the lowest field for field goal percentage on drives this season is Jalen mm-hmm. Brunson is currently shooting 33.7% on drives. Oops. That will balance out some, I'm sure. Having mm-hmm. said that, that's kind of where if that regressive regresses positively, he's shooting the shit out of the ball to start the year, Jalen Brunson. You could be potentially looking at a guy that could be in all-star, all-NBA buzz if that balances out a little bit. Because he historically has been a very good drive, uh, scoring guy on drive. So I, I think that that will balance out a little bit. But the Knicks offense, it doesn't look pretty. It kind of can look terrible at times, especially when Randall and Barrett and and Robinson and Hart are all out there. But it's effective. It, it's essentially this this money ball thing that we've been talking about where like they hired a bunch of analytics guys and they tripled down on rebounding. And because of that, mm-hmm. they're able to hang with the best teams in the NBA. Like I think they're going to be a nightmare matchup for the Sixers, even though I think the Sixers are a way better team. And I just think that they are able to, someone called it boulder ball. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. it's just right. like throwing rocks. At, it's, and they make every game a rock fight. It's why they're able to hang with the Celtics. It's why they're able to hang with the Sixers. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting a top five seed in the East again because of it. So, yeah. Okay. So Casey saying in the comments, why don't the Knicks trade Levine for Barrett addition by subtraction? Barrett's been really good this year. He's been good this year, unfortunately. Another uh he's been much better than Zach Levine. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, look, I'm once again, I'm willing to wait out guys who have not proven it to me before. I won't give the benefit of the doubt. Guys mm-hmm. who have proven it before in the NBA, I will give the benefit of the doubt. Having said that, his free throw percentage and his three-point percentage is the highest of his career. If those things maintain even if he dips a little bit, he's shooting over 40% from three and he's shooting like in the eighties from the line. He was like a 60% free throw shooter a few years ago. What we might need to be doing here is giving a huge apology to Drew Hanlon, <laughs> who has worked with RJ Barrett on the shot, who has worked with all of the MVP candidates, Jason Tatum, uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, and then Ty- he works with Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Halliburton, like, he seemingly knows what he's doing and has been uh, all of his clients have been really, really good this year. So, so interesting. Oh, he also works with the Levine funny enough, but yes. Um, but yeah, RJ Barrett might be owning us. I'm willing to give it. I'm willing to, to, to take it to the 
40 or 50 game mark with RJ before I take an L. But so far, he's been real good. And if the shot, if the shot maintains, he's just a good player. And him, Bontemps talked about this in his preseason uh, when they were ranking all the best young players. He basically said, if he can shoot, he's good. And if he can't shoot, he's not good. So, so yeah. we'll see if this 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 shot is is real or it's a Mickey Mouse sample, as SH is saying in the comments. So, okay, I've got one for you. Okay, I want you to name this player. Um, for qualified players, number one in turnover percentage, fewest turnovers. Number two in true shooting percentage with seventy two point four. And the highest small forward VORP in the NBA, they, they consider LeBron a power forward, which is where he normally plays, who's third. But this is the uh, number one small forward in the NBA in VORP, uh, just ahead of um, uh, DeMar DeRozan, who is, uh, and Jalen Johnson, who are a little bit lower. So who would you like to guess this player? All right, small forward. Mm-hmm. Lowest turnover percentage, um, second highest true shooting in the NBA. Mark Williams is number one, the center. Okay. So he's a small forward who I'm assuming mm -hmm. is shooting the shit out of the ball to start the year. Mm -hmm. And does he play in the East or West? He plays in the East. Um, I honestly, I really have no idea. Um, give me one more hint. Okay, um, he's he's a, a bench player, but uh, has has really come along. I honestly, I'm gonna just. Oh, is it Dylan Brooks? It is not Dylan. Brooks. Oh no, you said you said East. Yeah, said East. Yep, yep. It is it is Sam Hauser of the you Boston Celtics. Bastard! I can't believe you slipped in fucking Sam Hauser. He he didn't make us. I think he made one three in the Sixers game, and I was like, oh, so this dude isn't real, and then. He no. has been. He's he's a flamethrower, man. He's what is he, he shooting from three to start the year? Um, he was over fifty. Let me take a look here. Um, I mean, so your three you're... point rate is is ninety. Like ninety percent of his shots are threes. So new Duncan Robinson funny. just dropped. Basically. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say that, that's essentially what he is. is. He's he's a he's a good Duncan Robinson. Um, his three point he's actually only twelve. He's uh, forty seven point five, right in between Matt Ryan and Jalen Brunson. So. I mean, that's still only at 47.5. And how many threes per game does he shoot? Um, he shoots uh, 6.2. In bench minutes. In bench minutes, yeah. yeah uh, so he's going to shoot, he probably shoots, what, 13 or 14 per 100 possessions? Um, Maybe yeah, even look, more. He might shoot uh, 15 per 100 possessions. I can tell you right now, he is fifth in the NBA per 100, 14.3. Uh, only uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Buddy Heald, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Steph. Well, your Buddy Heald, Buddy Heald's yeah. been kind of not good to start the year. So your Buddy Heald, Sam Hauser take from the summer or from a few weeks ago might age, mm -hmm. might age well. And I, mm -hmm. I don't want to give you credit because Buddy Heald's been one of the greatest shooters in NBA history, and I'm sure over mm -hmm. time he'll balance out or whatever. I don't even know what he's shooting to start the year, to be honest. But I, I've seen Pacers fans get very mad at him, so I'm mm -hmm. assuming he's not shooting well. Yeah. Having said that, uh, this is part of the reason why I was never worried about the Celtics depth, quote unquote, mm -hmm. because it's so once you have first off the thing about the Celtics that's so that drives me so insane 
is that everyone's like, well, Jalen Brown and Chris Hubs Porzingis are out. And I'm like, okay, you're going to play some shitters for sure. Svee is going to play some more minutes. He sucks. Like, you're going to play some guys that aren't good, but you're also going to play Derek White and Drew Holiday who can capably run an offense for a few possessions. And you're also going to play uh when when other guys are out of the lineup you just always have someone that can be a ta- at least a, a an above average table setter on your team to run an offense through a little bit and to find the guys that float around those dudes is the easiest thing in the world and like when everyone's healthy he's what your seventh man like yeah. that is that's just that's nothing like that's that's yeah. the easiest archetype to of player to find is just like a seventh man who can survive and he's been better than that. He's been like he's, you said, like he's his defense. He's, been, he's been the Celtics. He's been the Celtics' fourth best player behind Derek White, Tatum, and Porzingis. He's been, he's been better than Drew and Jalen to start the year. Well, I, I don't know if that'll resume, but he's been very good. Did you watch the uh, the the end of the Grizzlies game last night? The I did Celtics not. Game? I went to sleep. I went okay. to sleep at the end of the Grizzlies game. But. So I was up watching that game, and the Grizzlies were like. Bane and uh, Santi Aldama were like just fucking hooping and they ended up costing them at the end of the game because they're, by the way, I like Desmond Bane a lot. I think he's an awesome player. I think if he's your third best player, you're going to be really good. His self-creation at the end of that game was was comically bad. Like, like I can see why they have offensive struggles without Jaw so much because yeah. Bane is trying to create and he's like got this old man game where he's just, he like yeah. almost lost his handle and he tried to hit a step back and he completely airballed it. Yeah. And Aldama tried to do a behind the back pass oh, no. and turned it over. It was just a disaster. So one of the things is it's so funny that you guys replaced smart with Drew Holiday because one of the things that I think that people always got mad at smart about was uh, just brain farts in general. Like he had a lot of brain yeah. farts. And last yeah. night at the end of the game, Tatum passes Drew the ball. And instead of just like dribbling uh, around to run off clock, he tries to dunk it <laughs> and JJJ almost blocks it. He hits it off the back of the rim. And the Grizzlies get a shot at a chance to win the game in that game. Yeah. I don't know. I I can't remember who was out for the Celtics in that game. I'm not sure if everyone was full strength. But Mm -hmm. it was just funny to me that I was like, you basically replace Smart with a different version of Smart in Drew. They're the same player. I've watched them both. They're they're essentially the same player. Smart had more like has more of an instinct for passing, and Drew is Drew will be more solid on defense. Like smart would gamble more than drew will, but like they are essentially the same player. <laughs> I'm looking like, at Drew's yeah. stats right now. And they literally just look like smart stats. Yes. He's averaging 13 points a game, five assists, yeah. seven rebounds on 43, 35 splits. And I'm like, yeah, that is basically smart. 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 Yes. smart. Yeah. Yes. I, so. I mean, I, which is fine because you traded smart for Porzingis. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they, tra- if they traded smart for holiday, I'd be furious, but like, this is like the guy you got to like supplement that. But yeah. And you I don't have to, uh, fucking three contracts of guys who are always injured. Yeah. We, uh, we loved, uh, doing that. well, I was say, well, did the Marcus smart one, we knew that he was hurt. Uh, and we knew that, uh, Rob Williams was hurt. Um, Matt Ryan, who summer camped with us, we put the delayed bomb in him. Yes. Thank you. So he would get hurt again. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. If you think Max about Struce, watch yeah. out. Every this is a stat I want to tell you right now. Every every person who's played for the Boston Celtics and played more than three seasons in the NBA, they've missed games and gotten hurt. Well, 
that's true. And also, if we get to the deadline and all of a sudden Sam Hauser's name is floated around to trade rumors, don't trade with the Celtics anymore, guys. Please stop helping them. Use car salesmanship. Yeah. No! <laughs> yeah. Um they're like so, like Matilda's dad in the Matilda movie. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Yeah, just Danny DeVito pouring sawdust in the yeah. fucking uh, engine. Yeah, the, the father of uh, Tommy DeVito, Giants starting quarterback. Exactly. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, shout out! Shout out to Tommy DeVito, winning and be uh, NFL quarterback. By the way, yeah, ruining the Giants' chances of getting a franchise quarterback next year. I love when teams do this. Thank you. Football, Thank football, you so much. Football rocks so much to me because mm-hmm. in basketball, like. Were like the, the Mavericks last year. They were like, mm-hmm. just don't play the starters. And everyone was like, I mean, it makes sense. Like they have a top 10 protected pick. They can keep the pick if they uh tank here, will make their team better in the long run, whatever. Football teams are like the complete opposite where they're like, oh, we're one in 15. We're going to try so hard to fuck mm-hmm. up our pick in this last week so that yeah. we can avoid getting the, the, the pick that could potentially change our our franchise. Although I guess if you look at it as the way that the Texans did it, the Texans yeah. ended up with the second pick and they ended up with the better quarterback. The karma. That's the karma thing. You get rewarded for uh, being ethical unless exactly. you're the bulls. Cause God hates you. Yes. The, right, the so- bulls should have gotten my bitch. I would redo yeah. it. Well, the Bulls, the Bulls should have went back in time and uh, listened to us and tried to tank for Wemby. Now they're tanking. They're going to end up tanking in a non-Wemby year and get some mid dude who doesn't matter at all. They wow. should have no. They should have beat the Heat, and then they would have gone to the finals and lost to the Nuggets. Wow, that's actually, yeah. If we, women with the time machine, sure, yeah. are you my grandmother? <laughs> Men, with what the time you machine. you know ball with the time machine? <laughs> Zach Levine, you have to get inside Nikola Jokic, or the Bulls will lose this title. <laughs> Hold on, no, it's actually even better. DeMar DeRozan, please let your your daughter go to the game in Miami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Devar, I think someone literally might have tweeted this at me. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. During the playoffs last year. Uh, oh my god, but, dude. Okay, so fun fact for you. Mm-hmm. The Milwaukee Bucks, who have been better recently, still their, their net ratings trending a little bit, not great, but they've been better recently. They won some games, they've, they've gotten some quality wins under their belt. Mm-hmm. Um, their net rating with Giannis Antetokounmpo on the court and Damian Lillard off the court is a plus 13. <laughs> okay. Get ready for it. Let's go. Their net rating with Damian Lillard on the court is a, uh, and Giannis off the court is a plus 1.8. Okay. Can you guess what their rating is with both of them on the court? It's gotta be like negative 13 or something. It's like negative 7.7 per Let's 100 go. possessions. Let's go. They, they they currently when Giannis and and Dame both share the court, they have a one hundred and eight offensive rating, which is oh worse than the worst in the NBA, probably. It would be for, one of the worst in the NBA, if not the yeah. worst in the NBA. So their offense, when both of those guys have played so far, has been very bad. Part of that is at least due to the yeah. fact that they're just shooting from shit like three. It would be twenty eighth in three. the NBA. NBA by the way. 28th but, in the oh, NBA. Yeah, yeah, only the Bulls and Blazers worse. It will balance out a little bit. They're shooting 29% yeah. from 3 yeah. in those 220 minutes. But yeah. early returns on this trade is that they have competed better recently. 
They still have some issues on the defensive end, and mm-hmm. they have not figured out this pairing yet. Mm-hmm. And I still, like, I know the record says they're better, and I watch the games, and they look better than they did early in the season when Adrian Griffin was on his bozo bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I'm still, like, they don't look like a contender to me. Like they, they, mm-hmm. they, they, they just feel like they have very, they have these flaws that are pretty massive. Like yeah. the defensive shit can pop out from time to time. And the lack of depth on this team is like a real thing. Like they're playing Andre Jackson jr. Real minutes. And like Andre Jackson jr. Is an older rookie. So he might be able to play, but like he can't shoot. The defense is good, but he can't shoot. And they want to use him as a connective piece. And to start the year in a limited sample, he's turning the ball over. Thir- he has the highest turnover percentage of any player in the NBA at 30%. And if you want to try to use this guy in a connective role, he's got to be much more efficient as a passer than that. Yeah. So we'll see- sometimes that can be a good thing and it can balance out over the course of a season where guys are trying to make more advanced reads and their steps slow or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But overall, I still feel like there there's something missing with this team that makes me think that they're not legit contenders at least as currently constructed i i totally agree i totally agree i don't think i i thought they would be pretty good um i i don't think like nothing i watch them and i don't think oh they're not gonna be able to figure this out in the playoffs like i i think like the 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 calves could figure this out in the playoffs like that's how bad it is. Like, I yeah. think they could absolutely lose to some of these like mid to low run team. Like, th- they could give the Knicks could give them a hard time. Like right now, as currently constructed. Yeah. Like, um, again, the Bucks aren't dead in the water because same thing that I say about the Sixers and I say about the, the Celtics are always a Chris Porzingis injury away from being vulnerable. Which mm-hmm. and there's nobody else good in the East. So, you know, you've got to um. But even then, like, I, you know, we've never seen the Embiid Giannis playoff matchup, right? Sure. I, I don't, I, I don't I, think it's going to benefit Giannis, like, to be honest. Like, I okay. think that's a, yeah. So the thing about that matchup is that we saw earlier in the year, uh, they were pretty evenly matched. They went down to the wire. I mm-hmm. think that would be a super competitive team or a uh, super competitive matchup. I think Tyrese Maxey has been much better than Damian Lillard this year. And I also think that. Nick Nurse is a way better coach than Adrian Griffin. And I think that Adrian Griffin, first off, shout out Pascal Siakam. Thank you very much. From what we have learned is that they were coming down to picking between Adrian Griffin and Nick Nurse for their coaching job. And apparently Pascal Siakam was hanging out with Giannis. And after they hung out, he picked Adrian Griffin. And and Siakam was coached by both of them in... Toronto and obviously didn't have the greatest relationship with Nick Nurse, so that could have potentially swayed uh his opinion on there. I I like Dame's free throw rate that he's drawing, and he did a lot of this last year, but the free throw rate stuff, and this is something part of the reason why I think that Embiid has had some struggles in the playoffs when the whistle isn't going in his direction, is because these guys that that depend on getting to the line all the time, if that goes away from time to time, it could frustrate them. Dame's percentages are way down across the board. Now, maybe that balances out over the course of a season, but he's way, he can't finish at the rim right now. His three-point shot has been a little bit off to start the year. 
um he he's struggling inside the arc and when he when he goes to the free throw line as much as he does in the regular season i wonder if that goes away a little bit in the playoffs that he will struggle because right now i think he would have the highest free throw per- or rate of any guard in nba history if the season ended today so that's something to keep an eye on is that he's very dependent on getting to the line right now so yeah he would someone said in the comments so that's that's kind of where I'd be concerned. If you're looking for signs of optimism for, about this team, Milwaukee, they're, if you look, so some sites do this where they they bake in the three-point regression, whether negatively or positively. Like, for example, remember last year when the Celtics were, they couldn't miss a fucking shot and they looked like the greatest offense in NBA history? Yeah, the regular season. <laughs> yeah. But for the first I, I month of the season in November, yeah. Yeah. everyone was like, oh my God, OKC's gotten a little bit of favor in that regard so far this year. They're third in net rating, but if you bake in the regression and the strength of schedule, they fall to uh, seventh place in net rating. I think it's fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth place in net rating. So if you look at dunksandthrees.com on their net ratings where they adjust for that stuff, it looks like teams like OKC might be benefiting from positive hot shooting and other teams not shooting great. Whereas Milwaukee might have the opposite where their net rating isn't great. It's like a plus one something, I think, or maybe like a plus two for for them. But it's a plus 3.5 on there, and it might get better as their shooting gets better. So positive signs for the Bucs is the shooting should balance out a little bit. They shouldn't be shooting 30% with both Dame and Giannis on the court, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the... The positive part uh, for them is that the the shooting will regress, but the negative part is that like they still have some issues on defense, and that if that duo isn't the best duo in the NBA, they don't have enough depth and talent around them to make up for that not being the best duo in the NBA. That's what this whole team was built on, was that this pick and roll, this duo is going to be unstoppable, and that you could figure out the other pieces around them. If that isn't the case, then they could be in for a disappointing kind of playoff exit, I would imagine. So still very early, still a lot of time to figure some stuff out. I wouldn't fully count them out, but as of right now, I'm still not seeing contender. I'm seeing good playoff team and not contender yet. So um, if you want to hit me with another, I I have, uh, I have a few as well. So one of my, one of my favorite things to do um, whenever it gets to be this time of the year uh, is I, I call this the, the Mickey mouse wind predictor. Mm-hmm. Like where I, I, this is, I think one of the number one indicators of which team is about to come crashing back to earth. I just refer sort by opponent three point shooting percentage and see what that turns up. Do you want to guess which team has the lowest opponent feel uh, three point percentage right now? All right. I just want to say that last year, everyone said this about the Sixers and then it just never went in the other direction and their defense was totally fine, but they were for a while, they were number one. And then do you remember the year, the first year the Knicks made their leap back in uh, the playoff leap when they lost the Hawks, they were, they had like the luckiest three point percentage as well for, uh, but who's the number one team? I'm going to say the Miami heat. It is not the Miami heat. Um, It is the Houston Rockets. Yeah. That was another team. 31.8. So 
And league yes. average is what? Like 36, 37 probably? Yeah, the Sixers are 15th with 35.6. Yeah, so it's somewhere the Warriors around are 35.9. So like it's uh you know part of that actually the heat are one of the unluckiest their opponents are shooting 38.3 against them wow <laughs> that like, defense is insane then because their yeah, defense is still really good yeah yeah so that that the heat the heat might actually there's some indicators there that the heat might actually be good but um i just you well, know we don't we could just ignore those yeah i was gonna say i'm sure i'm sure it's fine <laughs> dead what's this dead canary on the floor of the mine ah, i'm sure it's fine <laughs> What are they going to do? Stab me in the Eastern Conference Finals? <laughs> yeah, I'll just kick it off to the side. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, what are they going to do? Trade for Zach Levine? So Bert says in the comments, you can't make it, bitch. You made it, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just getting in the heads of all the opponents. Yeah. It's, uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, that's one I'm keeping an eye on. And that, let's just say that kind of checks out with, what I what I think about the Rockets so far this year is I'm I'm kind of waiting for the floor to like not like drop out from under them, but for them to like go from being like in the playoffs to being like a you know more on the like lower end of things, you know, like kind of scrapping for a, a tournament spot versus you know some of this other stuff. So, so I think that's that's fair, and I also mm-hmm. think that. A lot of people have been talking about Cade Cunningham because he's been struggling to start the year yes. and he struggled a lot in his career. Yep. Not a lot of people are talking as at least as much about Jalen Green. Mm-hmm. But there were a few guys when we did our rankings of the 25 best players in the NBA, the three guys I said really need to prove it this year, I thought were Jalen Green, mm-hmm. Josh Giddy, and Cade Cunningham. And all three of them have been terrible <laughs> to start this year. Yeah, Jalen Green basically single-handedly lost them that Lakers game last night with some really terrible turnovers and decision-making. His scoring and ability to finish around the rim, just, he always, and, and we have a friend who watches the Rockets a lot for, so that we can, you know, keep his identity protected. I won't say his name, hmm. but he basically says, this is year three, and he's still attempting the same attempts that he always tries at the rim, and they never work. He just challenges bigs way too often. He thinks that he can dunk over guys. He thinks he can finish over guys, and he is not able to do that. And we're in year three, and he has a new role on a new team. So sure, you want to give a guy all the benefit of the doubt. I just think that that top of that draft in 2021, it's kind of crazy looking back to be like how sure everyone was about Cade, how sure everyone was about Jalen Green, and how much of a question mark we had about a few guys that went after him. Scotty Barnes, who's been amazing to start this yeah. year. Uh, Franz Wagner, who was seen as more of a role player that, you know, he has been great to start the year, but has balanced out a little bit over the past few games. And Jalen Suggs, who had a really bad start to his career and is now one of the best point of attack kind of defenders, guard defenders that we have in the NBA and has looked incredible in the past few weeks. Number one in steal percentage in the NBA right now. Yeah. He's been, he's been amazing. And someone said, I... Someone said when we did the uh, the under 25 guys, 
they were like Jalen Green is the third best Jalen from the 2021 draft. Yeah. Suggs, Suggs and Johnson both have have cleared him to start this year again. And yeah. it, and look, it's it's not Jover for him, but it's certainly uh starting to be like like we said, we're less than a year away from these dudes getting extensions. And we don't know who they are as players, or it's just they're trending in the wrong direction. Giddy, all three of these guys are on. Can you be Jordan Clarkson? Watch, because that's how you're. That's how all of them are going to stay in the NBA. So. Feeling like the white Jordan Clarkson? Yeah, I was going to say Josh that's Tyler Hero. The, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who, right? who in this? Yeah. By the way, Zach Cram article about guys with high usage that don't get to the line, don't get to the rim, all that stuff. Yeah. The only two players that got to the free throw line less than Cade Cunningham that have as high usage as him were Kyle Kuzma and Tyler Hero. I just thought that was very funny to start. But yes, let's go. God. Oh no, that's our. Those are our favorite players. Um, yes. but uh, but yes, that I just thought just some interesting. Who has more value on the trade market right now, Jalen Greeter, Cade Cunningham? Hundred percent, Cade Cunningham. It's flirting yeah. versus harassment. At this point, yeah, it, it, that's exactly. That's a great example. Look, because yeah. I don't know if if I were in charge of a team, I don't know who I'm trading for. But I guarantee you, all the everyone in the NBA would like all the people running front offices right now in the NBA would say Gate to Cunningham. So, yeah, hundred percent. The scouts it's, and yeah, Steve Steve Kerr would love it. I mean, look, Monty mm-hmm. Williams. The the most important thing to Monty Williams isn't are you a productive basketball player on the court? Is it, it is. Would I let my daughter marry you? <laughs> Cade's a nice guy. Yeah, Cade. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> he said the same thing about Landry Shamit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus okay. Christ. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm sure Killian Hayes is a really nice guy, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, all right. Um, Last thing before we get out of here, I do just want to bring up uh, the fact that we do, we do need to, you know, with, with this being calculator rat Christmas and all of the EPMs and such dropping. Yes. We do need to talk a little bit about some of the guys that are high on this list. So I had someone send me some information. Shout out to, honestly, do you know who's number one in defensive EPM? Uh, is it Rudy Gobert? It's not Rudy Gobert. Oh, Actually, you know, you know who's number one and number two. Don't look. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Both young players. Young. One's a rookie. Chet. Chet, Chet is two. And number one is. It's gonna be someone stupid. I'm trying to think of who. Would... Hold on, hold on. Let me guess. Let me guess. I know. I, I think I have the answer. I bet it's fucking Scotty Barnes because he has like insane. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. That not real, not real. I'm sorry. Go away. <laughs> plus Barnes, three point been... plus three point two. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I look. I haven't watched a ton of the Raptors. Mm-hmm. This is something that I can't remember. I wish I could credit the podcast. It might have been Thinking Basketball podcast. Might have been Ben Taylor who said this. They mm-hmm. did a most improved podcast, and Scotty was one of the people they talked about. Yeah. Um and. One of the things that it was either Ben or his co-host said was the fact is they've removed Scotty from being point of attack, which is where he's always struggled because he's not super flexible. He doesn't have great hips. He can't really keep up with like guys in space. And they've moved him to be more of like a roamer and like an off ball guy. And they've put 
better point of attack defenders at the front of the defense. And that allows Scotty to do all the things that he does really well. He's a good team defender. He can get steals and deflections and kind of cause havoc on the back line. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, even if he has some deficiencies on the ball, that's still a really valuable player to have with his skill set. And the only thing I'm not worried about the the defense at all with Scotty. It's the offense where I'm worried about they still have a really bad offense. And what is what does it look like when they get better offensive players that fit better with Scotty? Which is why I don't think they'll ever trade OG, because I think OG fits well with Scotty. I'm yeah. I'm interested to see what it looks like when they get more instead of Pascal Siakam, get a better floor spacer, when they get guys that are more better fits, because right now the, the spacing is just a fucking mess right now. Honestly, Kevin Herter would be a great fit with them. Because that's why they drafted Grady Dick, and Grady Dick's been terrible to start the year. Do you know who the uh, seventh-ranked uh, player in defensive EPM is? He's the third center on this list. Well, I'm looking at this, right? Is it Goga Batate? Is that who you're <laughs> it is about? Goga Batate. Is that, that's your, isn't it, are you Goga-pilled? I'm so Goga-pilled after watching one, one Magic <laughs> game. He was, he was cooking. He was cooking in that Magic game. I was so impressed. Like, I think Wendell was out that game, and he just fucking kind of cooked. So, Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it is kind of funny looking at some of this list. Some of the guys that pop up, like Keegan Murray, who doesn't really have a reputation of people. But most Chris of Paul the, on there, too. Yeah, well, Chris Paul's always had a good reputation as a defender, but like most of these guys are all defensive guys. Like, yeah, I was gonna say Jade McDaniel's OG, even uh, Dylan Brooks, yeah, Caruso. Evan Mobley, Caruso. Yeah. Like, yeah. like they, these are all like guys that you would be like, oh, they made the all defense team, but it makes sense. The mm -hmm. top three guys are Scotty Barnes, Chet Holmgren, and Jalen Suggs. Just something to keep an eye on. Very interesting. They've all looked really good on defense to start the year. But mm -hmm. this conversation is not about those guys. It's only about one of those guys. It's about Chet Holmgren. Because Chet has the best rookie EPM I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. And to the point where I tried to think of some recent rookies who have been really good and reached out to someone who subscribes to the premium dunks and threes. And they sent me the stats Chet's EPM right now to start this year is a plus 5.3 just behind Donovan Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton and just ahead of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Maxey. He has a plus 2.3 on offense and a plus three on defense. Do you know who had a, uh, do you know what Luca's rookie BPM was or EPM was? Uh, was it like four or something? It was a plus 1.8. Jesus Christ. Chet oh has God. almost three times as much as rookie Luca in EPM right now. Now, okay, let's just say offensive. Even if you just did offensive, he has a, he had a plus 2.3 EPM. It was year two where he made his real leap. Uh, mm -hmm. and he was a plus 4.3 in year two. LaMelo Ball was another guy that I thought could have been kind of interesting. Okay, where did he rank in this? Chet Bloom out of the water in EPM. Like, it wasn't even close. Mm -hmm. uh, LaMelo Ball's rookie EPM was actually slightly negative because he was so bad on defense. It was a... Uh, but for a rookie, that's still really good. Like, if you're around uh, negative one, that's good for a rookie in EPM. Like... If you have positive, it means you're doing a really, really good job. Chet has been one of the 10 best players at EPM, and I'm pretty certain in Darko, he's also been up there this year. He's been incredible. But the, uh, the argument that people will say, Chet's two years older, 
than most of these guys. He's 18 months older than uh, Luca was as a rookie. He's older than Wemby and all these dudes. I get it. Rookies don't do this is my point. Is that yes. give me any rookie in NBA history. They're not ranking at the top of impact stats no matter their age. There has not been a rookie who has maybe ever done this in the analytics age. And like watching the games, he just is fucking amazing for a rookie, even though he's 20 years old. Like I still think that we're underselling how good he is for an NBA rookie. And they did the same thing with Ben Simmons and Ben was a really good rookie. But like the point here is that this just doesn't happen often. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, like, I, I watched one game. I was, like, ready to, like, hate on Chet and, like, be I, – I watched exactly one game with Chet, and I went, oh, no, 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 he's him. <laughs> like, I got, I got to back that one up. Like, he's he's one of the best players. He's, like, one of the best rookies I've ever seen just from an impact standpoint. The defense is crazy. Like, young bigs are not that good. And he had, yeah. like, six fucking blocks in the game that I saw. Like, against, like, real fucking guy. Like, Donovan Mitchell's a real fucking scorer inside. Like, that's not, like – Yep. nothing like it's just it's it was it was crazy so. it was not mickey mouse but uh so i i just dude i watched the golden state game two nights ago when they played against golden state did you catch that game at all no not at all no so first off okc goes down three with 1.5 seconds left chet did you see catch chet's shot chet no. caught a three off movement Swung around, caught it, and made a three to send the game to overtime as time oh expired. God. Coming off a screen and just shot over. I, Wiggins was guarding him. He couldn't even contest the shot because he's so fucking tall. Mm-hmm. And he, so far this year, has been incredible. In that game against, against the Warriors. Now, Draymond didn't play, of course. Keep that in mind. But still. Right. 36 points. 10 rebounds and five assists on 14 of 22 shooting. And then the next game they play against Portland and he goes, he has 16 points on six of six from the field and they're blowing them out so badly. He doesn't even have to play in the second half. Like this guy for a rookie is so, so good. And like, it's now getting to the point where people are having the conversation. Is he just better than Wemby? He's, ha- he's had the year I, I, advantage. He's had the year yeah, advantage. He's say, older I, I than him. Yeah. There, there's definitely, but I'm just he's saying. He's definitely got the better team. Like, 100%. You know Context yeah. is way better. Absolutely. Yeah. All I'm yeah. saying is guys aren't this good this early, and yeah. it's very hard to even catch up to the level of production that he's at in a year or two for Wemby. I'm just saying. It's not to yeah. say that Wemby doesn't have the better long-term ceiling and, and the idea of what Wemby can be, but... Chet is very firmly in the him category and we make this mistake all the time with young guys where it's like, well, this guy's 20 and this guy's 22. So like he can't, he has a two year advantage on him. And it's like, we, I talked about this with Tyrese Halliburton at the end of the Patreon episode. I was like, there's, there's no way that there are certain guys that are ever going to be reach up to the level that he's at at 24, even though they're 21 or 22. And it's the same mistake that people make when like pre-draft, they were like, would you rather have Cade or SGA? And it's like, SGA is one of the, he's 22 and he's one of the 35 best players in the NBA. Why would I ever take this unknown guy? (laughs) Yes. 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 Um, By the way, Gordon Hayward looking great. Future Philadelphia 76er. 
So in the in the stat sheet, he looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Watching the games, he moves like George Niang now. So that yeah. does concern me a little bit. He he did just cook Porzingis um in this game. So oh um, oh I didn't even realize they were playing right now. He's yeah, Gordon Hayward's still good, don't get me wrong. And honestly, yeah. one of the reasons why I was higher on Gordon Hayward coming to the Sixers was because the like Batum's been so good for us that I'm like, oh, you just get smart role players to yeah. fit in, then this team could be great. But like, I don't know, maybe they don't need Gordon Hayward as much as I thought. Because right now their problem is not been on offense they have the number one offense in the nba i think they're going to look to to address some of the defensive issues more so but yeah so, yeah yeah also uh Br- uh brandon miller got uh just dis- destroyed at the rim by drew holiday let's go yeah i don't think i don't think he's going to be able to score around the rim like as it was he was like shying away from the con it was really bad like drew just came in and like he's bad around it. the rim but he's been good to start like, he's he, he's been pretty good brandon miller he, he's a good shooter he's a good yeah. shooter that's fine. Yeah, it's, it's 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 as Keegan Murray taught us. It's 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 always uh it's always bad to draft the guy who's a little bit older and is a reliable wing shooter. Yeah, that's Keegan. I've, Keegan, that's exactly Keegan Murray and Brandon Miller are identical guys in terms of their college background. What well, I what I'm I'm there's one thing Brandon Miller has on his college background that's very different. <laughs> Than Keegan Murray. I'm just gonna say that so. a little bit, a little but, bit. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Last thing I want to say before we get out of here: mm-hmm. free Jaden Ivy. Ivy better. Sadly, is the new agenda. So I see someone okay. commented that he's two for two to start the game. Okay. I, um, I, I'm I I'm Hooper pilled still. Mm-hmm. To I know we just did a whole calculator rap podcast. At one point, to balance this out, we'll do a Hooper podcast at one point. Jaden Ivey, I don't care what the stats say. I know he's actually been kind of good to start the year stats-wise on offense. I don't care if he doesn't play defense. That dude can ball. I'm in on Jaden Ivey. I love him. So, Ivey better, sadly. Do we want to do 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 we we want to a challenge? Yes. Talking about which Pistons guard we want to back, you can pick Jaden Ivey, and I will pick You'll the take other Sasser? guard that people are. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna do the joke. The other guard that people are arguing about that should start. That is, Sasser. of course, yes, Marcus Sasser. You should start, exactly. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Ivy better. Sadly, sassy. Sass, sassy better. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> Sasser. That's that's gonna be the I when when it's the Ivy yeah. Sasser backcourt. At a certain yeah. point, it will be called the sassy backcourt. <laughs> the sassy backcourt. We're, we're we're advocating. The 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 Killingham the Killingham backcourt it's gone. It's Jover. We want the sassy. We want the, the sassy backcourt. The sassy backcourt, and we will build around Duran yep. and Asar in, yes. in this, and we'll have spot up shooters I think who can attack around them. Duran and Asar. So I just I. I, it's just they're they're watching them ruin this team. It's just it's ah uh, 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 man ah uh, man. Well, we'll it's see. Troy Weaver still has time to make it worse. Yeah, God, I hope not. I hope not, man. Let's go. All right, uh, Eagles are on in an hour, so I gotta go. But uh, all right, thank you guys for joining us. We'll be back. Page sign up for the Patreon if you have not already. We'll be back later in the week with our Patreon episode. And yeah. I I'm I'm not positive I want to do this yet, but I was thinking for the next concept. Someone said. Should we do? We could do a washed or not washed podcast where we talk Ooh, about players like that. that we yeah, think we are washed because there's been a lot of conversation about a few players on the Warriors. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. we'll do washed or not washed on the next episode. Subscribe to the Patreon if you have yeah. not already. Watch Trill and I talk about guys our age and call them old <laughs> fossils. Yeah. 
This guy's 34. We should fucking kill him. Yeah, he, he should just he should just walk into the ocean. He's done. <laughs> hey, peace. Peace.